0: Hello and welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. I am your co-host, Dan Morang. Just a quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you're looking for your podcast needs. And while normally I've been joined by our managing editor, Dave Deckard, technical difficulties is uh, kind of keeping him on the down low for the week. But luckily, we, we've got plenty of uh, depth in our bench as well here at Blazers Edge. And Steve DeWald, another Blazers Edge contributor, you can find him doing pregame analysis Uh Pretty much anywhere help is needed, news reports, and uh, now podcasts add to the uh, the repertoire. Uh, he is becoming a quick study and blazer guru. Uh, Steve, Steve, welcome to the show, buddy.
1: I'm happy to be here, Dan. Uh, expanding, and going to try to fill those uh, Dave shoes today.
0: Yeah, I don't know, man. Grand Poobah shoes are, are, are difficult to fill. I mean, that's 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 pretty steep, but I like it. I like it. Just just calling yeah. your shot early on. All right. So well,
1: I don't I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so we're we're coming into a, a time when, you know, Nurkic fever is still really a thing here. And uh, since uh, plenty of folks have heard Dave and I talk about Nurkic over the past couple of weeks here, I'm going to go and open the floor for you. What have you seen? What have you what has been your takeaway? What do you like? What don't you like? I mean, if you can find something not to like and, and what are you looking for, for the, from him, particularly for the rest of the season?
1: I mean, first off, when he the trade first happened, I couldn't believe it. I called one of my friends, said, "Can you believe we got a young center and a first round pick, and all we had to give up was Mason Plumley?" Luckily, I've been pleasantly surprised. He's uh, kind of shed some of that that reputation he had coming over from Denver. He's definitely motivated here. He definitely wanted to start. I thought you, said and, you were going to uh, say I, he,
0: sh- he shed some of that weight, and I'm like, man, going into the fat jokes right out of the gate. That's that's no,
1: no, that's the off season, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> but I think uh, it's tough not to like him. I think we haven't had a post presence. The blazers haven't had a post presence like this in a long time. I mean, even when LaMarcus was here, he's working from the mid range. I mean, it bends the court a certain way, but putting that big body in the post, just defenses are having a hard time reacting to that and chasing down the guards. I mean, Damien and CJ are putting up monster numbers since he's gotten here. Um, there's really nothing you can't like. I, I mean the the 28 and 20 game was unreal the other night. I don't think I've ever been there for a Sixers game and everybody was that crazy. So
0: <laughs> yeah, that means let's, let's touch on that real quick because it was Blazers Edge night. And we had 2,000 kids in the in the building and uh, most of the Blazers Edge staff members were all sitting in one section. And I'm fairly certain the vast majority of us around the first quarter were on triple double watch for Nurkic. And to have that kind of a game against that opponent was kind of a bummer that that it had a that, that game was necessary against that opponent. But to have that kind of game with those kids in the building was like you, you couldn't have written the script better for as far as making lifelong fans. Yusef Nurkic made two thousand fans that night.
1: Yeah, there there's no the electricity in there was all season, you know I mean? This season hasn't been the most uplifting, to say the least. And that kind of made up for it a little bit the other night, regardless of the rest of this season, what direction it goes in.
0: Yeah, you know, the, speaking of electricity particularly, I haven't been to a game where the post-game after the, the court clears interview with a player, first of all, that that hasn't happened in a while. Second of all, I haven't had it to where most of the arena, it's probably two-thirds of the arena was still in the building, waiting and cheering on Nurkic and you could see kind of what it meant to him on the on the floor and the overwhelming emotion from the crowd like it just pouring down on him it was definitely one of the cooler situations we've been in not just this year and and because of the situation that there the, are the circumstances the Blazers are with their record but just that kind of fire within within Moda it's been it's been missing for a while and I think Nurkic not just his performance, but his attitude and his persona and the way he kind of carries himself in these games it, it that kind of i don't even know what to really describe it, it is it's kind of an eight in him like he he draws that out from people, and i th- I think that's been huge for Portland over the last couple of weeks
1: I think Portland's been exactly what he needed, and he's exactly what we've needed i mean we're as the fans we're kind of freed from this dismal season and Nurgic is freed from you know a bad situation, playing time wise, that he found himself in Denver. I think I you couldn't like Blazers Edge Night for the kids. I don't think you could have wrote a better situation for the first few weeks he's been here. It's uh it's been unreal.
0: Yeah, I think the only way that that game gets better is if if Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid like make miraculous comebacks and come out and play and still lose.
1: <laughs> yeah. That, the Jaleel Okafor part is kind of the asterisk on that game, but <laughs> I, I, I don't care how bad he is at defense. It's still 28-20. Well, was, he,
0: he wasn't on the floor for the second half. I mean, Nurkic beat him up so bad in the first half that Rashad Holmes was the, was the guy that they opted to go with. I mean, think about that for a second. The 76ers opted for Rashad Holmes against Yusuf Nurkic. I mean that's I mean I don't want to take shots at Holmes here, but I'm taking shots at Holmes here. He had no chance, and they thought he was the better, you know, opportunity for the Sixers defensively than, than Okafor is or was. And I think that kind of goes to show what where Jalil Okafor is at this point in his NBA career. And I'm really glad the Blazers didn't pull the trigger, you know, a couple of days before it and before picking up Nurkic. Otherwise, they'd be in a much much different place.
1: I mean, there was a few points of that night where you, I mean, in the first half you saw them going at each other and like, we could have been on the opposite end of this. This could have been a very different situation.
0: Yeah, no, um, yeah, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy at this point. It's just, he, the dude is just not an NBA player on that end of the floor. And and that's an understatement. I mean, James Harden got vined and, and YouTubed, but I mean, Okafor, man, it's, It's at a level that's embarrassing, but we'll kind of flip away from that. And there's something that you said in there uh, about Nurkic and his impact on his teammates. And one in particular, Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard was having a good season, his best statistical season of his career. Since the All-Star break, he's now averaging almost 30 points a game. He's at 29.4, shooting 47% from the four, 37% from three, five rebounds, six assists. He's the third leading scorer since the All-Star break. He is bawling out of control right now. Uh, I mean, everything he's doing. The two guys that are, sc- that are scoring more than him right now are Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, who have had absolutely monster games since the All Star break, and he's right there with them. Now people can say, well, where was this earlier? Or is, is this? How much of this is really Nurkic? And I think that's up for debate as far as Nurkic's impact. But I think the big thing here, and there's something that, that Dave and I have alluded to for quite some time, is that Dame wasn't right uh, physically. Yeah, he was nicked up, he was banged up, and that ten days or so off for of the All Star break did him a world of good. I mean, what do you what are you looking at when you see that?
1: I mean, I was I I think the Nurkic thing is, is definitely helped him as far as creating space, but I think this has finally given him a chance to get his ankle right. I mean, he play he plays the most minutes or he's in the top five every year that he's been in the league. So I, I think that rest is huge. I think it's just as much of an impact that Nurkic is in. But I think also outside of his scoring, I think what's important too is how, watching how Dame has welcomed Nurkic into this lineup. I mean, if there's a few times where if Nurkic, it takes a while for the big guy to get moving, but once he does, if he runs the court, it seems like he always gets the ball. He gets rewarded. And I think that's that comes down to leadership on, on Damian's part.
0: Yeah, and I think the funny thing with it, that is is it's, it's kind of a, a two way street, um, in that uh, he uh, Nurkic in particular, when he's running the floor and he's getting a full head of steam, if he's not getting the ball, then, you know, it's one of those things where he's not gonna keep running the floor. I, I don't think that's just Nurkic in general. I just think that's every seven foot three hundred pound human being on the planet. They're just not <laughs> they're not gonna continually run the floor if you're not getting the ball.
1: Joel Embiid excluded when he's healthy, but yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. But, I, uh, I also think, no, go, go, ahead. Ahead. go ahead. I think Lillard too. I think the other thing too is he's getting the line more he went 12 for 12 in the, in the Philadelphia game. I think that explosiveness is there. He's getting to the rim. If you know, even, even if he's not scoring, he's getting to the line, which I think that's indicative of a player who needed the rest and is, you know, got a second win in this part of the season.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think part of the, the Nurkic deal, and this was, I think of something that Dave and I alluded to and, and Adam Morris discussed was spacing with Nurkic on the floor, uh, and how the Blazers were going to operate when you're talking about getting Nurkic the ball and clogging the lane. Now, if the negative were true here in that Nurkic was clogging the lane, Lillard wouldn't have driving space. He wouldn't be getting to the free throw line. Uh, he wouldn't be able to put the ball on the floor and get there effectively, Whereas the opposite has been true, where Lillard's been getting to the free-throw line more, knocking down more shots, there's more openings for him, because Nurkic, while he's taking up space, he's doing it in an effective manner. And they're not just posting Nurkic up. They're only posting Nurkic up one and a half times more per game than they were previously with Mason Plumley, as far as post-touches are concerned. So it's not like they're just dumping the ball into him, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge-style, in operating an inside-out offense. It's very tactical, but effective. There are minor differences in how Portland's executing their offense, but the impact that they have are huge. The big thing, and I've harped on this like crazy, is Nurkic's ability and penchant to roll, like what you're talking about, getting ahead of steam up. When he rolls off a pick and roll, the defense fundamentally changes versus him and Mason Plumlee and the openings that that gives not only to Lillard and Nurkic, but guys like CJ, and I think more significantly is a guy like Alan Crabb, who over the last couple games has become the aggressive Alan Crab we've all been begging for over the last couple weeks.
1: I, I think it definitely benefits creating space for those shooters, which uh, kind of brings me to a, to a guy who's getting healthy right now, and how do you think uh, Evan Turner is going to fit back into this lineup? Do you think he's going to mess with the cogs on this one or do you think those two will work well together in a pick and roll? That's
0: that's a really weird one. I wanna say it'll work because Stotts and Dame and CJ and Nurkic and these guys will find a way to make it work. But floor spacing wise it's a weird one. Evan Turner likes to operate in a lot of the same places that Nurkic does. What I anticipate seeing is Evan Turner working more with Myers Leonard? That's that's what I end up. That's what I am anticipating seeing. I don't think we'll see Turner and Nurkic as much as people may be anticipating. I think there'll be times where they're together, but I don't think those are two guys that are necessarily complementary players. One thing I have noticed since Nurkic came in, and, and that's with Myers Leonard, is that Myers has been working a ton more in the short role. And that, by that, I mean he's he's going off the pick and roll and hitting the elbows and hitting those elbow jumpers and that little—I shouldn't say little—the giant seven-foot man floater, which to me is still the weirdest thing in the entire NBA. There's just something about a seven-foot-one, two hundred and seventy-pound dude rolling down the middle and then throwing up a floater that's softer and with more, more touch than most point guards. Um, but yeah. I, I, I People can call me the pessimist on this all they want to. I just don't think it. that's a very effective lineup on paper, having those two together, unless you're completely surrounding them with shooters.
1: Yeah, I, and I, I think going back to Myers Leonard, I think with him having the guaranteed role with Ed Davis out, I think he's played a lot better. I think the confidence thing is obviously – that's conjecture on my part, but it's I better. always think that that's, that's – that's something that's always kind of been an issue. And I think he's mm-hmm. taking his shots with confidence and he knows he's not going to get the hook. And then the other guy too is, is Noah Vonley. Vonley has looked good on the boards operating in that space that, that Nurkic creates. Now, I mean, there's a lot to be desired still from Vonley, but
0: again, it's this, better.
1: It's better. Exactly.
0: And I think it's, that's, that's the best thing that, that Blazers fans can, can hope for right now is for things to be better. Uh, you're not looking, or you're not. I don't think you're, you shouldn't be looking for drastic leaps, but slight improvements. That, that's. It doesn't necessarily have to progress from one, two, three, four, five. You know, in a the progression, they could go one, two, and stay stuck at two for a while, and then all of a sudden, then appear at four or five. And and you know, that could be the case with a guy like Von ley where one day it just kind of clicks, and I think that's what a lot of people are still holding hope. You know, same thing with Myers Leonard. So, you no,
1: know, I've been I've been with the Myers Leonard thought process on that for about four years. So. Yeah, join the club. <laughs> we're we're gonna get there. I, I'm yeah. not only
0: a member; I'm also the president.
1: <laughs> Correct.
0: Um, I send my dues to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, kind of talking about you know the improvements and improved level of play. The Blazers are just unbelievably are five and one over the last six games. With that. <laughs> there have been three games one we talked about in the Philadelphia game where somehow some way a 76ers team missing Joel Embiid Ben Simmons Jared Bayless uh, I think there was somebody else sitting out that night too but basically their top three or four players Dario Sarge just making a case for being in that, in that role but he hadn't really leading up to this but that team somehow pushed Portland to the brink. The next game, the Blazers pull out a 21-point lead against the, you know the, one of the hottest teams in the league, the Washington Wizards, and blow that game. And then you've got the Phoenix Suns, who arguably are the second or third worst team in the league, and somehow find a way to stay in the game with the Blazers until the closing minutes. Game by game, what are you taking away from these these three games, and and on both sides of the ball, and, and how does that make you feel going forward? I
1: the Wizards game is is still tough. I know you're you never want to be in a situation where you're blowing a twenty one point lead, but it's made me second guess the the replay protocol in this league either you have it and it works or you get rid of it all is kind of my stance on it.
0: See, I didn't and... have to bring it up. I have other people to bring it up for me. I, I, I think I've done so much complaining about officials over my lifespan that I just, i mind dump all of that stuff. It's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, uh, go ahead, go ahead and finish on this. I'm going to come no. back and, and I'm, I'm going to go <laughs> with my, my, my token rant that I get at least once a week.
1: No, I, I think uh, the, the defense is definitely still an issue. I think some of the guards are adjusting to the ice format, having Nurkic sink back into the paint. And, our, and Damian and CJ already struggle getting off screens, as we, all, as we all know here, anybody who's watched the team. Um, the Phoenix game, you know, I'll take a win, but when it takes 39 points from your best player to squeak past the second-worst team in the Western Conference, the, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Um, I, I think this road trip that they're on right now will really kind of, we'll see if Nurkish fever is still here come Tuesday when they return to the motor center, because games against San Antonio, I mean, even new Orleans, how, how are they going to deal with, you know, boogie and AD, well, Atlanta's Atlanta, I'm hopeful because we were close in that game or the blazers. Sorry. I keep saying we, the blazers were (laughs) close in that game and, uh, and that was when Nurkic wasn't suited up; he was behind the bench. So I'm interested to see how he does in that. I think Dwight Howard is an interesting matchup for him. I think the centers he struggles with are the guys you can, like Brook Lopez. I think push him to the limit because he was able to take him outside of the paint, you know, make him have obligations out there. So we'll be it'll be interesting to see how these next four games go.
0: Yeah, pulling Nurkic out of the paint, and it's kind of funny you're talking about the, the ice defense. It, it... If you ever looked at icebergs, what is it like? Eighty percent of most icebergs are, are <laughs> under the water. I mean, that's that's Nurkic, man. He he is the he is the iciest of icebergs, and his paint is his water. He does not come out of the paint. <laughs> Defensively, it's just, and I don't I don't blame him. You're, you're putting him in a really bad position once he comes fifteen feet away from the rim. He's just not going to recover very well there. Um, as far as the the blown call, and there, I should. Probably caveat that with blown calls. Um, in the post game analysis against the Wizards, I, I brought up the blown call and I didn't go into it too much, I mean, because it was just so blatant. But my whole take on officiating at the NBA level is this for those that don't know, the NBA officials, while they have their own independent union, their arm of officiating, the whole setup itself, is still housed within the NBA. And until that changes and that becomes an independent entity, we're not going to see a ton of changes as far as um, improvements in officiating. And I, I, th- I know that sounds crass, but I just, I just don't believe that. Because th- there's no leverage to make the change. I mean, yeah, the, people can say, well, what if that call was made in the NBA Finals? It wasn't. That's not the leverage. If that, co- if that call was blown in the NBA files, Finals, then you have that leverage to work with. But otherwise, it's much ado about nothing as far as the NBA level is concerned. Nobody's talking about that right now. And here in Portland, yeah, people are still angry and irritated about it. But at the national level, they don't care. They'll have the rule fixed for next year, and that'll be it. But if you pull the the arm of the NBA, the, the officials, away from the NBA, where the best officials in the world are an independent contractor and... They have a set of rules that they need to to enforce. They have the leverage really to kind of work things around to where they can be more effective. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing going forward is being more effective. And effectiveness comes with consistency. Consistency comes with training. And right now, there's I've had people ask me if there's if there's a direct pipeline to becoming an official in the NBA. Do you know, do you know how to become an official in the NBA?
1: No, I I do not. It's a lot like Carnegie so. Hall
0: practice and knowing people. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's really what it comes down to. There's the D League. There's working in college. I've I've got friends who've been officials at, at you know the, the highest levels of college ball, and they've been trying to get into the the NBA for years. Uh, it just doesn't work. So, I, like I said, I, this is my my one rant this week is is I don't want to say in all hope, but if you're hoping for big changes from the officials and how games are officiated and called and structured and, <clears throat> excuse me, and transparency, that's not going to happen until that move takes place. So, so, that, so what's your that's take, my deal.
1: what's your take on the, the two-minute report? Because I think, I agree with a lot of what you said, and I think accountability is a, a big thing for that. And I mean, at least there's some form of transparency now with those reports coming out, but yeah, I I mean, it's not perfect. A
0: lot of people don't like them. To me, the – I don't necessarily care about the, the last two-minute report. I like the idea of the transparency, but I think it's it's kind of like wagging the dog a little bit. Um, personally, and I know this, this sounds awful, mean, whatever, take a look at the NFL or Major League Baseball. If an umpire or an official makes a really bad call, you know what's on Center later that night? That official with a no. press statement from the league saying such and such official has been fined or suspended for X amount of time or X amount of, of money. The NBA, you never hear about that unless it's a social issue. And that, it, what's ironic yeah. about that is Rodney Mott, the guy who blew the call and was with the, the pool reporters, one of those officials that was suspended back in, I think, 2007 for a social issue. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I I think the bigger thing going forward would be what's the league going to do about this? So it, things like this don't happen. Um, I think a, a big part of that is, hey, Rodney Mott has been suspended without pay for three games. I think that does a, a big part of changing that. Uh, I, I've always <laughs> been a big fan of anytime you're going to make punitive measures in place, the, the best and most effective way is to hit the pocketbook. And I think that's true pretty much across all walks of life. Um, but, yeah, I would rather see, uh, to me, that I think the biggest thing possible, and I, I know the Vegas bookies would love this information, and the fact that I know they have <laughs> big parts of it anyways, are uh, public records of uh, officials' logs, basically uh, grades at the end of a game. You know, 1 through 10, A through F, however you, you want to do it, and it's rated in positioning, effectiveness, consistency, and, you know, the, the refs are scored about on about that because then you get to see what these refs are, are going. And a lot of that data is actually out there, and I, I look at it quite often. And you know by the ref crew it's going to be assigned For the most part, you, you can usually guess 75%, 80% accuracy about how many fouls are going to be called just by knowing what ref crew. I mean, I'll throw in an example. Anybody who knows, I, I've brought it up a million times. Ron Garrettson is my favorite official in the league because he swallows his whistle and you know what you're gonna get night in and night out. If a foul doesn't impact the play, he's not gonna make the he's not gonna make the call. That's just away from the ball fouls that that don't inhibit play or movement heavily or anything along those lines, he's just not gonna make that call. Meanwhile, somebody like Scott Foster or Zach Sarbour, they're gonna make their presence felt on the court night in and night out, and they're gonna tweet their whistle as often as possible. Um, stuff like that, I I think it hurts the product in the long run. So, like I said, I'll get off of that rant for for now, but um, I think that's the biggest issue facing the NBA as far as um, competitive play and the the product itself going forward um, is consistency and fish eating. Uh, Speaking of going forward, um, Blazers have 17 games remaining. That's it. I mean, we're talking the home stretch of home stretches. In those 17 games, they only have seven road games. And one of them, by the time you guys are listening to this, will be tonight. So um, they'll have six road games remaining after this matchup. Um, and only six games total against teams with winning records. What are you thinking right now as far as playoffs? Cause as of right now, the Denver Nuggets are a solid two games ahead. Uh, two in the win, one in the loss column right now. They just got done absolutely beating the brakes off the Lakers.
1: I I think we should take this moment to celebrate a little bit because we have two team tank people on the podcast <laughs> with, with Dave absent. So we can talk. We can talk it up. We,
0: we, can we don't. Talk, we don't. We have anybody
1: here. to. Yeah, we don't need anybody to rain us in. No, honestly, I think uh, the schedule is very friendly. I I look at the Blazers going just slightly above five hundred. How the schedule looks. Oh wow! I, I think yeah, nine and seven is what what I see. I think there's there's some games that I think we draw. We split one with Minnesota. I, I think is kind of where I might be a little more cautious than. Yeah, they have three games people.
0: against Minnesota left. That's yeah. big time. Minnesota could come could come out of nowhere to chase well, this, other, this playoff I mean, spot down.
1: There's you have you have the Nuggets right in front of the Blazers, but you also have. The wolves and who else is right Pelicans behind them? Pelicans
0: and Mavericks are still kind of hanging around.
1: Yeah, the Mavericks are right there too. So, and I mean, Nerlens Noel's look good in Dallas. I I think those teams should be just as much of a threat if we can even catch Denver. So, if the Blazers can even, I'm going to correct that. If the Blazers can catch Denver, but uh, I I begrudgingly think that they'll somehow find a way to make the playoffs and. The lottery hopes will be gone, but uh, I think it'll make Yusuf Nurkic very happy to uh, bounce his former team out of the playoffs.
0: I mean, if you're if you're looking for the silver lining for somebody, I guess it's Yusuf Nurkic getting to the playoffs and getting to knock his uh, his his former team out out of the playoffs. That's for me. That's just not enough. The thing is, if you look at Portland's schedule, you're right. It's pretty favorable of the remaining uh, teams that are chasing that that's eighth playoff spot. And I was looking at Denver. I believe they've got the Clippers and then a home and a home and home against the Rockets and then the Cavs. Meanwhile, the, the the Blazers have the Hawks and the Spurs, the Pelicans, and then it's basically teams that are under 500 the the rest of the way. I mean, they've got a couple tough games. There's a game against the Jazz and a couple others, but for the most part it's the teams from the lower end of the spectrum, the the rest of the way out, with the exception of one huge game that, that's against Denver, and then the the three games against Tim, the uh, Timberwolves. So, it's you're, I don't know if I can get on with with the Blazers closing above five hundred. I think if they go anywhere near five hundred, they'll they'll make the playoffs. But I just don't see them doing that, just because, yeah, they're five and one over the last six. But dear God, they've done everything possible to throw those games away against some of the worst teams in the league. So,
1: I, I think if you're looking at the tail end of that schedule, you got a couple teams. I mean, you have a Lakers game, you have the Suns they're again, tanking. who at that the point Suns
0: are they that's, be, that's two free wins.
1: Teams are going to go into full tank mode at the end of this season a little more than they are right now. So that that could benefit the Blazers down the road, but yeah, that March that, March, that
0: March go into full tank mode, but that's for another time. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, exactly. But Mar- that March 28th game against Denver at home, Mason Plumlee's return, which <laughs> I think we should have a moment of silence for his, uh, his crotch shot that he received from Marquise Morris. And <laughs> goodness, Morris has
0: been doing the Blazers dirty for the past week. Both, now,
1: <laughs> both Morris brothers were a nightmare to deal with for the Blazers this year. So, I think we can rejoice that we don't have to face them anymore down down the road. And, they're
0: not both on the Suns anymore.
1: Yeah, so I think I think we learned a lesson about how to uh, treat Thomas Robinson, their old college buddy. We shouldn't we shouldn't have given up on him so soon because the Morris brothers are taking it out on the Blazers or anyone associated with the Blazers.
0: <laughs> oh. Yeah, Denver's schedule down the stretch run is definitely tougher, but I don't know. I. Something in me is just saying that, that Denver is going to pull us out. The way they played tonight, and I know it was against the Lakers, but they look like a team that's kind of figuring it out down the stretch run. But I guess you could say this, the same about Portland. I mean, Dame is just balling out of control. Nurkic, and he, I, I want to go back to Nurkic real quick. Something about that, that Lillard said, he said he believes that Nurkic, can average 20 and 12. Do you think he can average that at any time here?
1: I think that defenses are going to start to adjust to use of Nurkic. We've, we've seen teams come in and kind of let him do whatever he wants to an extent. I think when you see teams start to put pressure on him, he's already turnover prone. I think, I think you could see things change. I think, he certainly has the skills to be twenty and twelve. I mean, we—I haven't seen somebody move that nimbly at that size,
0: Dancing bear unless, man.
1: Unless I'm watching Soviet highlights of Arvita Sabonis, I don't think I've seen a big man move like that. So, and yeah, I'm I'm call, I'm, I'm already comparing to Sabonis. I, I'm in that camp. I'm, hey, I'm man, real high. There's but, a
0: couple of guys in the league right now that are doing some very sobacy things. I mean, tonight uh, Jokic for the Nuggets dropped one of the the no-look over-the-shoulder passes from the uh, pie post to a cutter. I haven't seen that since Sabas, so it's... uh, The Sabath flavor is definitely uh, catching hold in Northwest Division right now. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm putting it down. I still don't think Portland makes the playoffs. As well as they're playing right now, and as crappy as the schedule is, as far as opponent uh, down the stretch, I think Denver figures this out or Dallas figures this out, and that's a real bummer. But I think that leads us to the big sporting event coming up, and that's something I know you and I both are looking forward to, and that's March Madness. Uh, For those wondering, yes, there will be a bracket going up for Blazers Edge, a Blazers Edge Challenge bracket. So uh, once that goes up, go ahead and get your picks in. But uh, what are you looking forward to as far as the Blazers are going to have a pick, I think. The lowest and humanly possible right now is probably 7th. Best case scenario is probably ninth or 10th. Worst case in the fact of making the playoffs, they're probably looking at 15th. Who are you excited to watch that kind of fits in that, that it area of selection and, and what teams and what, what players are you looking to watch kind of going forward through the tournament?
1: I think for all three picks, I think Duke has guys that can fit all three of those spots. I know, I know how much you, you like Duke, but, uh, (laughs) Jason, Jason Tatum is, has been a guy I've watched all season. He was here at hoop summit in Portland last year. The guy looks the part. I think he can play the three right away. And once he puts a little bulk on, he could be, you know, play a little bit of four at the next level. Um, I'm kind of bummed. Cal didn't squeak in. I was looking forward to seeing how Ivan Rab looked in the tournament. But uh, I think uh, Justin Jackson from North Carolina is another guy to watch. I think he's a, he's a ready-made guy for the NBA, and I think he could fit, if there still is a timeline in Portland, he could fit that timeline. Um, Zach Collins for Gonzaga, I think, is another guy who, in limited minutes, has played next to Carno- Prismic Karnowski in Gonzaga, another huge lumbering center. And I think he has an inside-out game. He's a true seven-footer but we haven't seen a lot of them. And I think that's the type of player that Portland might be looking to invest in with one of those picks, take a flyer because at this point you need it with the money that's tied up in this team. You need to get lucky in a big way in this draft.
0: Yeah. There's, there's certainly no shortage of guys to, to watch as far as entertainment value. Um, Monzo ball and his dad are going to be, the source of at least 40 cutaways per game um, <laughs> throughout the NCAA tournament. But uh, the guys that I'm, I'm really interested in seeing um, are guys that I, I haven't had a chance to watch a ton of. So it's the not-quite-top-tier uh, teams. So I know a lot of folks in the comments over the last couple of weeks have talked about Caleb Swanigan. Uh, he's an undersized big, but he's a double double uh, double 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 machine, excuse me. And uh, so I'll, I'll watch a guy like that. And then there's a couple of guys that are, have kind of piqued my interest um, that I want to get a clear picture of. Somebody like Jonathan Isaac from Florida State, who I've watched a little bit of and haven't had a chance to catch a ton of, but he's got a chance to carry his team. And I know a lot of folks have looked at a guy like Lori Markinen from Arizona. Um, he, a lot of folks want to compare him to Dirk, but I think he's more of a, a Ryan Anderson type player. Um, if, if anybody caught, you know, the write-up that I did last week, as far as I think it was 13 different players to watch, those those are the same guys can, I'm kind of looking at going forward. But I think it's really easy as a fan to get caught up in what somebody does in the NCAA tournament and not what they've done over the entire year. Who are you looking at as as the guy that that could possibly just catch fire and rise up a lot of boards?
1: Well, I think you, you mentioned him as Lonzo Ball. Just he's in that top three selection conversation. And with Markel Fultz missing the, the tournament at Washington, I think if Lonzo Ball, Ball has a nice tournament, I think he could, he could get himself into that number one selection conversation. The other thing, too, is getting back to Duke is Grayson Allen is worth the watch to see if he's going to be able to stay on the court. <laughs> the I think most that, irritating that is worth player in college
0: basketball. Exactly.
1: I mean, he is the Christian. That kid watched a lot of Christian Leitner film, apparently, because he rubs people the wrong way. So,
0: oh, I mean, he, it's Those not are- like he doesn't deserve it. I mean, he, he I think he. Oh, yeah. I think he kind of relishes that role in, in just sucking up all the hate. I mean, that guy is just throwing hater steak out to everyone. And, and I don't know anybody who's not willing to bite. And the thing is, just. The kid's talented. Uh, I think the the guy that a, lo- a lot of people may have coming of the boards, um, because of his, how well he did in the ACC tournament, and what he's really done for Duke, is the guy we haven't mentioned, and that's uh, Luke Knard. And he reminds me of a J.J. Redick type who, and it's not just because he's a white dude, it's because he doesn't have that explosive athleticism, uh, athleticism that so many people associate with that swing position. But the guy just, he gets buckets. And if you can score like that with relative ease, especially in the NCAA tournament, it's one of those things where you can just shoot up the draft board. And we've seen him go from a guy that really wasn't ranked um, a couple weeks ago to being a late first-round pick to a late lottery pick. And now I've seen some folks have him in a mid-lottery, or mid-to-late lottery. So he's definitely one of those guys I think a lot of folks can can kind of hitch their wagon to, so to speak, and watch him as Duke progresses or does through the tournament.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, when I mentioned earlier that Duke has somebody at every selection for the Blazers, Kennard's an interesting person because I thought He's a guy that's gonna be there at the Cavs pick if the Blazers want. But like you said, he's moving so far up the draft board. I mean, he might be he might not be there with the Memphis pick at this point. If if the Trailblazers keep all three of their picks. What's
0: crazy about this draft is that one through seven, I think that's the number I'm settling on, is the elite level projected talent going forward. And after that There's just, there's no consensus. And somebody who's slated 22nd could go 10th. I think there's a lot of folks in this raft who are looked at, not necessarily the same, but in the same vein as Thon Maker was last year. In that he was a, I don't know, 18 to 26th pick who ends up getting picked early. And I think you can see a lot of that in this draft and that somebody who's thought of in that range gets taken earlier. And I know everyone's talking about how great this draft class is. And I think it's because it's so loaded at that level.
1: And I agree. I think another guy that we haven't talked about is Miles Bridges. He's a guy who was in that, you know, top seven, top nine conversation a few months ago. I mean, he slipped a little bit, but there's a lot to like with him in today's nba I and mean, he's got potential to be an outside shooter. I think he can guard three positions at the in the nba level, but there's some stuff that's going to need work when it gets to the nba.
0: Yeah, there's uh there's definitely issues with with Bridges as far as what I'm concerned is the the size, the wingspan as an analytics geek, I just I have a really hard time with undersized players at the swing the swing positions. And I think Bridges and he's he's a guy I like Draymond and it's not just cuz he's from Michigan State and he's kind of positionless. He's looked at it as just kind of an ugly duckling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ugly duckling. Good god, I can't speak tonight.
1: <laughs> we missed Dave.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no I kidding. I think um
1: I think Bridges free throw percentage. also His game is is kind
0: of strange, right? Yeah.
1: He, the thing that does bug me about his game when the limited time I've watched him is he doesn't, when they put a small, when a team puts a smaller defender on him, he doesn't take them into the post. He settles for outside shots against smaller opponents. When you got to have that killer instinct, especially at that level and Michigan state for the large part. I mean, they're night 19 wins into the, coming into the tournament, I, I just, but his talents there. And we're just, talking about guys it, like
0: this though. We're, we're not talking about franchise changing players as far as projection. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I see them as someone you could plug into the Blazers system right now and maybe get some bench minutes next year. I think that's best case scenario is you luck out with a rotational player in this draft. But I, I think the draft yeah, that's,
0: it's kind of crazy, right? We're yeah. going from talking about it. You know, if we're tanking the season where there could be a, 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 maybe not the topest of top flight players, but there's a guy in there. That's the five to seven range who, you know, you can plug into your lineup in as a starter from day one.
1: Well, there's there. I mean, you look at a guy like Malik Monk who could be there from five to seven And if that guy comes to the Blazers, you're looking at a lot of trade flexibility involving possibly breaking up the McLillard backcourt down the road because he's got that type of ability at the next level where you could bring in that star power forward to play next to that complements Nurkic perfectly or plays with Dane perfectly. I mean, I I don't want to get too heavy into projecting Nurkic's long-term future, but I think the Blazers definitely need to find somebody that's cap effective that can at least – make it in case the Blazers have to trade crab at a loss this off season, you have somebody who can kind of step into that void. And when I say trade at a loss, I mean probably attaching an asset that we don't, that the Blazers don't want to part with to, you know, shed that $18 million salary.
0: Yeah. Once the season ends, we'll have a better idea of where those picks are going to fall. And we'll know a little bit more tangible value with those guys going forward as far as the, the picks and what, they could fetch and return that kind of stuff. All right, so I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Who is your tournament winner?
1: I, I'm a homer this year, and I actually have faith. But I, uh, I have Gonzaga taking it all. I just want the Final Four. But okay, I'm gonna put so, in there. You, you can judge me all just, you want, it, but I, you're
0: the caveat your your homerism there. Yeah, I, uh, there's, I drew Gonzaga for you, about. and then there's the Ducks for a vast majority of, of folks here.
1: Yeah. Do you think I, uh, the Ducks
0: make it out of the second round? Uh, uh, I. What about to get you a whole lot? I of don't hate.
1: know. There's a, there's a team. The injury hurts that they had in the tournament. I think losing to Arizona. Yeah, Chris Boucher, Yep. That yeah, didn't didn't help them out. I think Bell and Brooks are both legit guys. I they're not guys I want necessarily at the next level or at least with a first round pick, but I think they're talented guys, but I think, I think the ducks will definitely win their first game. I'll go that far. (laughs) So
0: yeah, if they fall down, man, uh, that's, that's a bit much. I think, uh,
1: I think honestly, I think Kansas is a team to watch in this tournament. If they can keep all their guys, they're very young, but there's a lot of talent on that team. Josh Jackson's one of those guys who's at the top of the draft that can looks like he could have been an NBA player this year. I mean, he's he's raw, yeah, but he's one, he's one of those guys. That's for me.
0: So. Um, Frank Mason Jr. is the point guard for them, and he'll be a second-round draft pick probably, and, or he could be one of those guys that, that skyrockets into the first round. Never nowhere, nowhere near his top ten, but he could be improving his value if Kansas runs deep. Kansas is the team that that I'm really getting behind. They lack depth, but uh, that's been my pick in most of my brackets. And, yes, I'm one of those people. Let's go this way. Are you a single bracket or are you all?
1: I mean, I'm definitely the type of person that's going to fill out a bunch of brackets when it comes this time of year. There's definitely brackets I fill out that are to appease my own my own wants for my own favorite teams. There's brackets I fill out where I'm riding Cinderella's. And then there's ones that often end up with all number one teams in the final four. So. So and you've just got, got the, the all-chalk
0: bracket, which you're, you're taking the ones. You've got your yeah. Cinderella's where you've got your bracket busters, and then you've got your fairy tale where you've got yeah. – there's absolutely no chance, but I want to pick one bracket where, where my team actually kind of puts it all together, right?
1: Exactly. So who's your 12-5 upset special for this bracket? I mean, to put Man, you on the spot. That's,
0: that's one of those weird ones uh, – No, there's a couple that we're looking at. There's a couple really bad uh, 12 seeds. Yeah. And I don't know. I've kind of gone through and I've made a few picks, but it's terrible. I'm not going to spit my brackets until tomorrow when I know what the playing games are. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and sit this one out. But I think we're, we're kind of running up against it now. And I think it's a good place to end it up. And I just want to thank you, Steve, for hopping in. No problem. Know, uh, the the grand poobah shoes are, are difficult to fill, but you, you did a good job.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I I owe it to listening to you guys weekly, so I'm trying to do my best impression.
0: <laughs> and we have to thank Steve for coming in because he literally was been traveling all day, flying all over and stuck in god-awful airports and was still found a way to, to hop in and record at, you know, midnight. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's in beautiful so, Salt Lake thanks City. Thanks again, Steve, for
0: hopping in. <laughs> I appreciate it.
1: No problem, thank you, Dan.
0: <laughs> and uh, first Steve, I'm in Dan Moring or I am Dan Moring. It'd be kind of weird if i've I've been Dan Moring. Oh, But uh, thanks for listening to the Blazers Edge podcast, and we'll go ahead and catch everybody next week.